Welcome to the London Business School podcast series, The Reality of Artificial Intelligence, How Are Businesses Using AI Today? I am Julian Birkinshaw, Professor of Strategy and Entrepreneurship at the London Business School, and I'm the host of this series where we discuss the practical applications of AI in the workplace and in society. Today, my guest is P.V. Cannon, founder and CEO of 247.ai, a leading provider of technology and services to firms with high volumes of customer service interactions, industries such as hotels, airlines, banks and insurance companies. PV is joining us remotely for this podcast. Welcome, PV. Thanks, Julian. Now, I should share with the listeners that I know PV quite well. We've had many a beer together over the years, although not for about five or six years, as it turns out. So, um, PV, I want to actually sort of put a little bit of historical context around this. I mean, we're interested in how companies are using AI to rethink customer services. But I want to actually go back to, you know, earlier days in your company, which obviously was founded before this whole wave of artificial intelligence, and ask Mm -hmm. you a little bit about when you created the company, what was the problem you were trying to solve back then? And how did you solve that problem? Great. Um, Thanks for the trip in back in memory lane. (laughs) The company was founded in 2000. And so, you know, it's uh, it's roughly about 19 plus years old. The company was started because uh, I found the whole business of customer service contacting large companies quite frustrating. Mm -hmm. And in the 90s, I'd hoped that uh, chat would become a better way of communicating with large brands. As it turned out, chat is currently more popular than it was in the 90s when the internet commerce just started. But in 2000, when I started the company, the idea was there were technology companies promising solutions to large enterprises saying, you know, it's going to make customer service magical. There were data companies trying to harvest the data that customer service interactions produce. And as you know, these are large volumes. A large bank in the U.S., roughly has about 400 to 500 million customer interactions per year. So we're talking about a lot of data. So there's a lot of data companies in the mix. And obviously, there's a lot of outsourcing companies who promise a large brands that they can improve the quality of service by putting the right kind of agents and so on. But what I found was this gap where no one was willing to take the technology and the data and the agent experience and own it end-to-end. So uh, when we started 24-7, What we did was help companies, given the set of technologies they had, how do you operationalize it and then focus on the customer experience as opposed to, if you think about 20 years back, there was a lot of inward looking focus inside companies. You know, if you go to a website, the language that was used uh, were terminology and jargon that were familiar to people in the industry or inside the company, but a normal consumer, for them, it was just complete garbage. So I think uh, now when I look back, that was definitely an underestimated task, convincing large brands to undergo a change where they do think in silos. So it's been a very pleasant and rewarding experience to where we are, that we have succeeded in operationalizing technology, leveraging data and improving customer experience. And of course, as a customer, we're all customers as well as uh, providers of services, you know, we've all experienced that immense frustration when we're calling a contact center. And you're saying that over the many years you've been running this business, you have contributed to helping 
that experience get a little bit better? I mean, a lot of people would say it's still not good, but just to try to make it a little bit more human or a little bit more efficient. I mean, how do you judge the success of one of these customer service processes? It's a very good question. And you have to remember that it's a moving target because once you see how easy it is to order an Uber or order food through Deliveroo or one of these services, suddenly your expectations go up, right? And if you look at the last 20 years, we've had a lot of innovation driven by the large platform players like Apple, Amazon, Google, and so on. So if you bear in mind, 20 years back, predominantly, if if a consumer wanted to contact a brand, there's only really one option, the 800 number. Sure, you could walk up to the bank branch or an office, but that was not the favored way. So predominant amount of conversation took place through the phone channel. And for the most part, while it was frustrating to wait or be transferred across multiple agents, it actually worked more better than where you may think where today (laughs) is. Because today you have a profusion of channels. You have mobile apps, you have websites, you have messaging options. And in a way, brands have done a disservice because they've scattered it and not given clear direction to the consumer. Where's the one place that I can go where my problem will get resolved, right? And so they just bounced around. Uh, And you're definitely correct in saying the human element is just crushed completely in the whole process, right? Uh, No one values the customer, values the customer as they should be. They're all bucketed into kind of what airlines do, gold status, bronze status, and so on. (laughs) But even if you're gold, your quality of service is not that great, right? And so a lot of time is really spending telling brands, don't open up new channels. Make sure the channels can... Uh, support the customer, 90, 95% of the reasons they are trying to reach you. So stop you know, playing with these channels because it's very irritating for consumers. And they'd rather not be promised that, oh, you can talk to Alexa and do something and find that you're now spending an hour with Alexa trying to set that thing up while your query was probably, you know, something that would have taken five minutes. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, there's a bunch of factors that's going on. Brands like Uber and Apple have elevated expectations of what customer experience should be. But to your point, 99.9% of the brands out there still fail gloriously. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, we we still got very frustrated. We forget that it probably was a whole lot worse 10 years ago, but that's almost <laughs> irrelevant because it's yes. still not what it wants to be. So, so let us now look at artificial intelligence in terms mm-hmm. of how it is helping. Because as you already said, one trend is obviously this move towards omni-channel relationships. You know, I, I'm accessing yeah. through my smartphone, my computer, my phone. What are the advances in artificial intelligence that are most exciting for you that actually caused you to start rethinking essentially the, the whole basis on which your company operates? Can you just help us a little bit with what those those technological advances are? And then obviously we'll move to how those have, have then been found their way into the products that you offer. Sure, sure. I'd say there are two major advances. And uh, the 2000s, big data was a big buzzword. And without a doubt, big data has had its success stories and its failures, right? But one of the things then uh, most exciting about big data is the ability to absorb all the signals and then essentially create predictive models that tell you why a consumer is approaching the brand. So in other words, predicting what the customer is trying to do before they've said a word. And so uh, that is only possible because of the technology advances without cloud, without the ability to absorb signals. So today we are able to track luggage 
to the point where you know inside the plane that it's actually being put inside the plane, right? So IoT, even though it's a buzzword, is being quietly applied and very efficiently applied across various industries. So your cable set-top box knows that you ordered a movie, but it did not start for whatever reason. Or your bandwidth provider today has knowledge when you call that for the last 30 days, 20 days, the bandwidth has been very slow, right? Your mobile operator knows that you, you don't get signal 23% of the time, so you must be a frustrated customer. So the signals are there, right? The data is there. Now, the question is, how do companies actually leverage it? That's where the gap is. But today, it is possible to take a mix of signals, the fact that you didn't get broadband, the fact that you uh, had an issue with the movie, and when you call today, the technology is there to actually say, hey, Julian, you know, I'm sorry you had these frustration. I know you ordered a movie and you were not able to watch it. Let me give you a credit right away. So you're able to start those conversations. I'm not saying that all brands do it, but the technology is there. It's proven. It works. Uh, we have many examples of where we have applied it and with great results. The second layer, and by the way, the first layer is what we call predicting the intent, right? So the reasons customers call by industry, you can actually bucket them. So if you're a credit card company, there's about 185 reasons why a consumer will contact you. So if you can bucket them, organize it, you know, label it, which means you now work backward to say, what signals would tell me that a customer is having issues making a payment or an issue that, you know, the card is blocked, right? So you work backward for the signals and then you collect those data and then you build mathematical models to say, if A and B and C, what does it mean? The second big uh, advancement in artificial intelligence is what is called as a natural language processing. I mean, it's a technical term, but what it really means is the ability for the computer to make sense when someone presents a set of words. So my card is not working. The computer is able to convert it into an intent. Now, in reality, if you just had to rely on the words, you're not going to make much progress, right? Because consumers are notorious in describing problems, right? They can state the symptoms, which is my card is not working, but they can't actually figure out the problem because a lot of that data is in the company's hands, right? This is where it becomes really interesting. When you say my card is not working, and if my backend signal says you've not paid last month's bill, then I can actually mathematically deduce that, hey, Mr. Customer, you've not paid your bill. Can I help you make that payment? And so we're in a state of, and you have to remember the hardest part in customer service is if I can figure out the exact problem, then the resolution is actually fairly what I call mechanical. And so that's what is exciting, you know, where we are. And the mechanism for this is mostly through so-called chatbots, right? It's in terms of, that's and right. most of us have experienced this, that things appears at the bottom of your screen. It says, tell me what the problem is. Tell me what you'd like to talk about. And then a right. conversation starts between me and that and that machine, right? You know, there are brands that, are, that do it even better. So if you are a Hilton customer and you start searching for properties, you can't make up your mind between two properties for a vacation in the Caribbean. The chatbot would actually, you know, come come and say, hey, can I help you decide on a property for your vacation? And then you can engage with the chatbot. So it, it can be done in a very smooth way where it's uh, definitely permission-based. So the consumers know whether they need to engage or not, or they can say, go away, I don't want to talk to right. you. Yeah, yeah. Remember that as well. So, you know, then it just goes into a, what I call passive mode, waits for the customer to initiate contact. And also, even though we use the word chatbot, the same technology can be applied 
in a speech mode as well. And that's the power of the national language processing. We're able to do better speech recognition today. We can convert it into text. The text is processed as natural language processing. So I'd say speech recognition, natural language processing, the predictive models based on big data are probably the three building blocks that help customer service today. And something I've often wondered about is the chatbot starts obviously as just a bit of technology, mm-hmm. but I often find myself moving on to clearly talking to a human being. I mean, is it is it always clear when that transition happens? Are you almost like required by law to say, you know, I, yes, this is a yes. person? Yeah, there are laws that are emerging. I don't think there's an existing law that says that. But all our customers, we absolutely will not engage with a brand that says, let's hide it from the customer. It's a really bad practice in today's age, right? Uh, Transparency is something uh, most brands are working on. And here's a great example where you should work on. So a typical example, whether you go to SiriusXM or Dish TV or Hilton is the chatbot will identify itself as a virtual assistant, virtual agent, chatbot, whatever the terms are, and then offer to help the customer engages And at some point, if the bot cannot handle the issue or understand what the customer is saying, it'll say something like, I'm sorry, I need to bring in a human agent to help me. And then the human agent comes and introduces themselves by name, and then the conversation proceeds. And obviously, at that point, the human agent has not just all the information that's been used so far, but presumably it's also being given some sort of suggestions about how they should take the conversation forward. That's correct. So what the human agent gets when the conversation starts is what I call a summary of the conversation because they don't have much time. You know, the customer is expecting a quick response. So it'll just say, you know, customer is trying to book a vacation in Caribbean. We have actually figured out this is the resort, but the customer is confused which room to pick. Yep. And so on and so forth. And so now, you know, the agent can say, hey, I can help you with selecting what type of room at this property And the key is to make it what we call a continuous conversation. So that it doesn't feel like I had a conversation with some automation and now I have to restart my conversation, which is kind of what happens in the traditional world. Well, exactly. And we've all been there, right? (laughs) We're all consumers (laughs) of of these technologies. Talk a little bit about the future. In other words, these chatbots are everywhere. They are undoubtedly helping. There's no question. But it doesn't stop there, does it? How, How are you seeing artificial intelligence helping us to, to make even more improvements in the way that customer service works on a remote basis. Right. I think the, the first biggest uh, change you're going to see, and you'll start seeing it happen in uh, 2020 and, and so on, which is what I call the consistency of experience. So regardless of the channel, let's say you were in a company's website, you started chatting, the entire conversation is retained as a thread, just like a messaging thread that you have with your friends. And then when you move on to the next channel, it's available for you, right? Conversations are going to be a lot more visual because we always have a screen in front of us, right? Whether it's our mobile device, whatever device it may be. So when you cross devices, when you cross uh, channels, whether it's speech or text, there's going to be a consistency of experience and the ability to recall what happened the last time I engaged with you. That, I think, is going to be pretty crucial because... If you think about consumer experiences and the obvious example is Netflix, right? We all watch Netflix and sometimes we watch it in our mobile phone. Sometimes we watch it in a laptop. Sometimes we watch it on a big screen, right? But Netflix obviously remembers what show you watch. And by the way, I finished the whole season of Crown and so I'm really bummed that I have to wait for a year to, for the next season. But, uh, <laughs> but that's what I call a very smooth experience. I don't have to think about it, right? I come yeah, in exactly. and it tells As me, you hey, you finished. 
episode eight, here's episode nine, boom, I go. And that's what is going to happen. So removing friction between channels, giving a more visual experience where you have a device, there's no reason to overload it with words or just talk for 20 minutes, right? Give, give it an easy digestible bits. Uh, allow me to pause the conversation if need be, and then resume it at a later time, right? So those are things that are going to come in where the data and more customers, you know, saying it's okay. And I'll tell you what are free times for me when you can reach out to me, right? Today, those things don't exist because consumers view brands with suspicion and don't share enough information with them, right? Got it. And what about, I mean, obviously we have a, a rather stilted conversation with Alexa or Siri or whatever. I mean, presumably you're also experimenting with, you know, those sort of chats rather than typed chat, but literal oral chats. Yeah, I think the form uh, user interface and form factor is coming as an obstacle. There are two things that's coming and it'll be solved because these are big platform players, right? I have full confidence it'll get solved. So the issue is, if it's fully speech, then I can't show you visual things which actually accelerate the conversation. Right. So you can solve it a little bit by saying, let me pair it with a device. So you're talking to Alexa and I'm showing you stuff on the phone or on your tablet, right? The other thing is really the ability to move to a human agent. So Alexa is kind of like, and when I say Alexa, I'm broadly talking about Google Home, Apple Home, and so on and so forth. These are meant to be short, quick, informational-oriented conversation, like check the weather. It's not meant for 20-minute conversations, right? But as consumers engage, today, consumers still use these devices for checking weather, playing music, controlling their home lights and things like that. But as consumers show more affinity to that, clearly these channels become the front end. But what's going to happen before Alexa and uh, Google Home is uh, Apple Business Chat and uh, Google Messaging is going to be a big uh, factor, I would say, in 2020. Okay. Okay. So both these companies are working really hard with big brands. And so today when you search, say, Barclays customer service in Google, you actually get an 800 number as an answer in Google Answers. Instead of that, uh, you're also going to be offered an option to chat with Barclays. And that chat will be retained inside your messaging. So, and the same thing with Apple. When you try to call Apple, it'll also say, by the way, you know, Barclays provides uh, messaging. Do you want a message instead? So this is a pretty remarkable innovation. So it's, it's going to be an interesting year. So, and you're saying this is really coming immediately. I mean, within a year, we're going to be doing all this stuff. Yes, Apple Business Chat is already live. I don't think it's spread to UK still. It's still uh, mostly in the US. Google is also testing. So 2020 will be pretty much a global launch for both of these companies. Very interesting. I did not know that, actually. So I will watch out for that. So look, I've got one final question. I noticed you've Mm -hmm. just written a book, The Age of Intent. It's not usual that chief executives write books. First of all, why did you write the book? But more more importantly, what's the message there? I mean, I think we're getting a sense from the name, but what's the story you're telling about, you know, the age we're moving into and what all that means for for us as individual consumers, us as employees and so forth? The reason I wrote the book is I got tired uh, hearing from companies and people that I talked to that chatbots don't work. It's all hype and AI is overhyped and these technologies are too immature and so on and so forth. So, I said, you know, let me just bust through all the myths. Let me explain. And so it's written with a a practitioner's viewpoint as to, you know, how to think about the problem, 
And the reason it's called the age of intent is I talked about the three building blocks of big data to predict intent, you know, natural language processing and, you know, so on and so forth. And the biggest, hardest problem in a customer service conversation or a sales conversation is figuring out the intent. If I know exactly what you're trying to do, then like I said, most companies have standard policies and procedures, then you just have to apply it. So if I know you're trying to return your item because you're unhappy, but I can't figure it out because you're complaining for the first 10 minutes, then it's a big problem. And that's what happens when you just apply natural language processing because it'll sound like a complaint. Because if I'm going to return something, the typical customer conversation in real life sounds like this. I'll say, well, my son's birthday was on Monday and you sent this freaking package on Tuesday. (laughs) Uh, It's completely not needed, blah, 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 blah. How do you figure out that you actually want to return the item? right? Because I didn't use the word return. I didn't say anything. But if I knew that I'd sent it two days back and it, and it arrived a day later, and I know that's one of the common reasons why people return because they bought it for a certain occasion like birthday or you know Christmas or something, the machine can figure this out, right? So that's why the book is called The Age of Intent because the biggest challenge in uh, automating customer service conversation is if you can figure out the intent, the rest is easy. But the next biggest challenge is how do you then make those conversations sound natural and not robotic? And so it, it dwells into all those items and learning from real interactions, learning from good customer service, and how do you bring it back into automation? Good. And and I can absolutely see how we as customers need this. I mean, the, everything you say makes perfect sense as a direction of travel. Just a last word, though, on, on employees, because obviously a lot of these contact centers employ a lot of people huge volumes of unemployment problems are solved by creating contact centers. Are these contact centers going to have to reduce the number of people they're using or are they going to be retooling these people for more higher value added type roles? How do you see that playing out? It is true that it's without a doubt it's going to impact employment, right? There's no doubt and I'm not going to give a fancy answer that somehow everyone is going to go into higher level jobs, right? But the reality is uh, the attrition uh, rates in the industry is uh, several hundred percent, right? So it's not that these are jobs that people are dying to have and then want to stay in for, you know, five, 10 years. But the point you mentioned is the higher value function inside it is how do I keep you as a customer for life? This is what most brands are trying to figure out, right? Whether you're a telco or a bank, you want a relationship, And you want to figure out how do I keep this for life so that I'm not fighting for the business every three, four years. And that's where I think companies will open up their eyes, take the savings and say, I'm going to double down. And the example I gave, if I actually screwed up your son's birthday gift, what do I do? That cannot be given to automation. That requires human empathy, context. And that's where AI is not there and it's overhyped, right? Yeah, It really cannot, AI cannot understand the feelings of a mom to fail to give a birthday gift to her son, right? And so those will be the jobs where you're proactively detecting something is going wrong, that a traveler will miss a meeting because there's, you know, snowstorm in uh, Heathrow. And what do you do proactively about it? And so there's going to be a lot of proactive customer service functions, more concierge-like, that will emerge, that will require, you know, a different set of skills than what today's agents have. Good. And you also touched on a point earlier, which I hadn't thought of before, which, of course, is that this technology is actually making the life of a call center worker a little bit more yes. more pleasant, right? Yes. Or a little bit less unpleasant because a lot of them get very beaten up by angry customers. And, and this is helping them just to get closer to doing a good job than, than was possible in the past. 
Yes, and just uh, the shift to messaging, what we have found in uh, our contact centers is agents are far more relaxed. They know that the customer is not in a rush to get through. Customers are pausing the conversation, which gives them time to think and solve the problem more quickly for the customer. Because when you have an angry customer on the other end waiting to chat or to talk to you, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on the agent to perform, right? Technology is definitely taking away a lot of things whereby the agent has furnished all the relevant information on a timely basis so they, they don't have to scour for it. Good. Agreed. Look, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much, PV, for a fascinating conversation. Please join us again for more in our podcast series, The Reality of Artificial Intelligence, available on our website, london.edu. 